Welcome to season three of the Collegiate Ministries podcast. This season, we are talking about AI technology and its impact on ministry to college-aged young adults. Our host is none other than Ryan's McElveen, the creative architect of Collegiate Ministries. Collegiate Ministries is a resource of Mere Christianity Forum and is dedicated to supporting just, vibrant, and inclusive 21st century collegiate ministries. This podcast was made possible by a generous grant from the Young Clergy Initiative and is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Rhymes McKelvin with the Collegiate Ministries podcast, and I'm so honored today to have our guest, Paul Johnson, the CEO and co-founder of Pathright, which you can find at pathright.com. Um, Paul and I have recently been become acquainted with one another and become friends and colleagues, and I'm just really sitting regularly in awe of his uh, understanding and capacity around technology is very um, human, but also faithful kind of approach to technology and his commitment um, along with his partners at Pathright to using technology for good in the world. And so, Paul, I just want to say thank you for taking your time to be with us and to share your expertise and welcome to the Collegiate Ministries podcast. Um, so th- thanks for being here. Great. And I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, It's an honor to be featured on this podcast. Well, um, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about like, what is Pathright and, and how, how did you come to, to become the CEO and and co-founder of Pathright? Great. So Pathright is a tool for making learning paths and anybody can sign up for a Pathright account and they can create online courses, Sunday school classes, um, learning paths for anybody to take in the world to learn anything or just people that they know to take. So we have people making learning paths for book studies and homeschools and church classes and all kinds of things. And it's, it's really exciting to work in because we get to see a lot of the creative ways that people teach a huge variety of topics. So one of my favorite things about working at Pathright every day is just how much we get to learn by watching other people teach. Sure. So Pathright um, came about when, um, well, actually, I'll go a little bit further back. So I founded Pathright with my twin brother, and his name is Mark, and we've been working together, like creating things, um, basically, since we could, you know, toddle around and walk, starting with Legos. But in the mid-90s, when we were... In our early teen years, we stumbled on um, the internet and we thought, you know, this was really interesting. So we got an HTML for dummies book and started learning how to create websites. And we were homeschooled at the time. And so we had a little bit of flexibility in what we studied in our curriculum. And my mom, who was not technical at all, but recognized that, hey, we're interested in this new thing called the internet. And it seems like it might be a big thing. Um, let us learn how to program as part of our homeschool. So we like to say we may have had the first kind of like um, coding school kind of class <laughs> from anyone uh, or any school. So that's where we started learning how to make software. And we've just been doing that ever since. Um, Pathright came about because we had several customers and we ourselves had spotted a kind of gap in 
how people could learn online. Like the internet, internet was changing everything from like commerce to social media and things like that. Um, but it really hadn't transformed much in education. In fact, like a lot of the software for education was extremely clunky and frustrating and very kind of like non-human feeling. And so we always had this thought that maybe we could make something a little bit better there. And in 2009, we actually encountered an opportunity to do that with a Christian ministry in Florida who was trying to teach some online um, classes for learning some theology and apologetics and things like that. And so we actually teamed up with them to create the very first version. It was like a small side project. And then it has grown from there over the next 10 years to where we are today. So I was just going to say just this week, we crossed a big threshold of 70 million learning steps completed. So if you look on our website, there's like this live counter of how many learning steps have completed and learning steps are kind of the fundamental Lego block of a learning path. So it's usually like a particular action somebody needs to take to learn something like they're going to read a chapter in a book or watch a video or take a quiz or do a project. And so that was cool to see, like starting, you know, about 10 years in, we're about 70 million learning steps and counting. And like I mentioned before, just really enjoying all the, the creative, thoughtful ways that teachers use the tool. Congratulations, Paul. That's that's an amazing threshold to have reached or a milestone to have, have reached. Um, and, and, and thank you for using your gifts and capacities and intellect to um, create this tool, uh, this this learning pathway tool that, that folks can use um, and and make use of uh, anytime. And um, we'll we'll hear more about that a little bit later, I'm sure. Um, but the nature of our conversation today is going to move towards AI and a little bit more focused on AI uh, language models like ChatGPT and others. But um, I feel like I hear in your description of your early experience of the internet and coding software for internet-related initiatives and things, a lot of things that are being said about AI right now, about how it's mm -hmm. changing how it's changing uh, the capacity for people to, to live and work and do business. And I think it's not a stretch to say that it could be more comprehensively impactful than even the internet in a certain regard. And so I just, I'd love to hear you reflect some on that, but then just tell us what AI is. A lot of us are hearing it and it's like, you know, um, we're soon going to be, I think, really smothered by AI at every turn. And so it would be really helpful for you to just break it down for us and make it approachable and let us know what, what is AI and then tell us some about specific AI expressions like chat language models. Sure. And I absolutely agree that we are in a pivotal moment when it comes to like a new technology on the scene. And it is every bit as big as the internet, um, probably bigger. So I think the, your instinct there is correct. Uh, we like to say that we're, we're kind of in the AOL moment for AI, like when ChatGPT is kind of the what AOL was for the internet for AI, because now people, it's on Saturday Night Live and people know about it and they're using it for the first time, but it's still like a very early version. Like if we looked at AOL now, 
compared to the what we're doing, you know, right now, streaming over the internet and recording this podcast and all the software tools and apps and smartphones, like it's just unimaginably different than that AOL experience was. And as impressive as apps like ChatGPT and the AIs that we're seeing like come out every week, we're really in that very early pioneer phase. So there's so much more to come. Um, and it's it's really a kind of an astounding shift, even to the people in the field. Um, they were shocked at how big of a leap, um, particularly JetGBT at OpenAI, but this whole approach to AI made, it kind of moved some of the things that we thought of as sci-fi into reality and very quickly. Um, as far as like what it is, it's, it's actually a lot more straightforward and mundane than what it appears to be. So the, um, the current version of AIs that are so impressive like ChatGPT are what are called large language models or LLMs. And there's a really fantastic article that I'll reference here that explains it very well and thoroughly for anybody that's interested. It's called, What is ChatGPT Doing and Why Does It Work? And it's by Stephen Wolfram, who created um, Wolfram Alpha and a lot of other very interesting computational tools. And I would highly recommend that article, but um, the, the gist of what AI is and why it works is that people basically train the AI system, they call it training, which means that they're just ingesting and kind of indexing billions and billions of pages equivalent of text. And a lot of the text is from the internet, like Wikipedia and Reddit and just all over the internet blogs but a lot of it are book texts, full texts of books, and just a large portion of the encoded knowledge of humanity is first trained into the AI. Um, and there's a lot of technical kind of scientific things that are happening there behind the scenes. But once that's trained into the model, it becomes fixed. So it's not like it keeps learning more. It's like they train it, it usually takes months and lots of computation power, and then it has like this brain that you can interact with that has the whole corpus of... Um, whatever they've fed into it. And then we give it a question and it has billions of pages of text that it could recite, but it's actually not reciting the text when we give it a question or a prompt to do something. What it's doing instead is based on all of those words. So let's say if we say, um, hey, can you generate a toast for a wedding speech I'm giving? What it's doing is it's looking at probably billions of sentences that are similar to that question that we just gave it. And it's then based on all of those instances, it's predicting what the next word might be. So it's really like a simple way to think about it is that AI that we're using like ChatGPT is a word predictor. And it's only predicting the next word, like the probability of like this word following that one. And the surprising thing is how similar similar to human speech that is and how even kind of creative sometimes it seems. And, and that's a kind of an interesting element because it one of the things that they found early in the process with this is if they just, you know, select the most probable word, it actually gives like a coherent response, but it's a really boring response. So there's actually a little bit of randomness in there too where it'll not necessarily choose the most probable word every time. And that gives it a much more human sound, even like kind of like a almost creative feel for how it answers. So a simple way to think about it is that the AIs we're using now are word predictors. Nice. Um, and then that doesn't, on the face of it, 
sound terrifying. <laughs> but for a lot of folks, AI and things like this are, are sounding very intimidating um, mm -hmm. and perhaps even threatening, you know? So what are the ways that you see it being intimidating or, or worthy of being intimidated by or worthy of being, you know, um, even afraid of it to a certain extent? And to what extent do you not see that as kind of a valid response based mm. on the way you just described it? Basically a giant word predictor. Right. Right. So there, um, I mean, sci-fi has always had this kind of theme of an artificial super intelligence that somehow gains agency and autonomy over humans and usually ends very destructively. I don't think any of them end very well. So that story is already kind of like in the zeitgeist. And so there are a lot of like existential fears when it comes to AI. Um, that's not something that, you know, most people probably think about too much, but particularly in the technology crowd, there's a whole group of people who are afraid of this developing into some kind of general AI that we that loses control and somehow does immense damage and even destroys humanity. I think if you break down like what the current versions of AI do though, the just the word predictor, um, that have like a fixed model and then just kind of predict the next word, it's pretty clear to me intuitively and just kind of straightforwardly that we're not in any danger of that kind of runaway general intelligence at this moment. I think that's still in the sci-fi realm is my opinion. And some people would disagree with that. Um, but there are a lot more just kind of practical down to earth concerns that people have. Um, so a big one is, is the AI going to replace my work? Like it's very verbally intelligent. It can pattern match all kinds of data that humans even have a very hard time pattern matching and resulting in. There will likely be some measure of like a shift in careers that is similar to like what we saw in the 80s with, you know, manufacturing and a lot of industrial labor being automated by robotics and then into the 90s to where like a factory that had thousands of people now only has, you know, a handful of people who are specialized in running the machines. A very similar thing is about to happen to white collar work um, in certain segments. And we don't know exactly how and where just yet. Um, but that can create, of course, like a lot of anxiety, just like any big technological change. I think the important thing to remember is that as like the new technology can display certain things that we've grown accustomed to or dependent on that for humans to do, it also creates equal opportunity, though, for new things that human can do. It kind of becomes like a new floor for where we can start applying like our human ingenuity and creativity. And that happens at the same time. We just can't predict exactly how it's going to happen because it's starting to happen right now. Yeah, that's super um, uh, interesting to, to hear about and to learn about. And yet as someone who, when composing sermons or developing content for teaching classes on scripture, tradition, reason, or experience in the Christian faith or all these kinds of things. It certainly seems like there are parts of, of my work and the work of collegiate ministers and that is so much predicated on wordsmithing, 
right? And, and coming up with original content and, or what would be construed as original content when maybe it's not all that original if we're honest, but, um, you know, I think that we're not, uh, or that we are among those as collegiate ministry leaders, whether they're, we're student leaders or uh, adult lay leaders or clergy, um, all of us are in, in the communication realm. And so I think um, it isn't uh, intimidating, or at least it pauses reflection on, wow, how could this really help? Or how could this really it a sort of undermine. And I wonder if you could sort of see some obvious ways that it, it might do, do either. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, that's, that's something that we think a lot about at Pathrate because um, of course, one of the most substantial um, areas of impact the AI is having already and certainly will have is on education. Um, there are already like very early promising models for creating AI tutors that can kind of like personally mentor students um, and effectively in, in many ways better than like a human mentor could because an AI is available all the time at 2 a.m. whenever you need it and it doesn't get frustrated with you. Um, it's not sensitive to different emotions. Um, so there are, we're already seeing amazing benefits when it comes to applying AI to education but I think that's just going to be true in every area of our society that deals with words. Because the, the really incredible thing about AI, the thing that makes it, I think, distinct from any technological innovation we've had in history is that it is the first time we can talk to our machines and they can talk back to us intelligently. We don't have to encode something into codes to give it instructions. We can just talk to it like we would talk to a human and it can talk back, do things for us in that way. And that's just a mind-boggling, exciting, and sometimes <laughs> terrifying new development in technology. Um, so th there are, of course, like many different kind of concerns and opportunities that people have. And one of the, one of the general ones that I come across often is this fear of getting left behind. Like if I don't learn how to use AI now, like I'm going to be displaced and people can start feeling like some anxiety around having to get caught up to this new technology right now. And one thing that I try to reassure people on is that yes, there it is worth definitely trying and playing with, um, but it's not urgent. Like technolo technology like AI and like the internet it's going to incrementally be added to the different software tools you use. AI is already on your phone. It's already on your social feeds. It's already in most apps. And most people can just wait for the AI to show up where they are and use it when they need it. And that really is kind of the right approach. Like I think um, humans are at their best using and even creating technology when they are taking a playful, creative approach. Um, so AI is not something to be afraid of but it is certainly something I would recommend playing with. And there are some really cool, cool ways to do that. A little bit more about that. What have you seen in, in terms of how AI has evolved just in the last few years? Um, and then maybe some, some ways that you might commend uh, Christian leaders and specifically leaders in the collegiate ministry space might play 
with different AI technologies? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so I think uh, some of the practical ways that I've used it and I've seen other people use it um, is the most simple way is use it as a research assistant. So AI is fantastic at if you're preparing, you know, a lesson or a sermon and you're trying to find references or cross references or quotes, or you're just trying to develop your idea, you can, you can treat it kind of like this super intelligent knows everything that has ever been written intern who doesn't really have very good judgment, um, but is super smart. And so you, you have to stay kind of in the driver's seat with it and treat it accordingly. It's like the way to think about it is it's lots and lots of promise, super intelligent, super fast, super quick, very easy to work with, but doesn't really have a lot of wisdom. <laughs> like it can't, it doesn't know the right direction for things. It will occasionally hallucinate things just like humans do. It'll be wrong about something that it said, um, but very confident about how we're about the thing. And so you have to be discerning, but if you think about it that way, it can be immensely helpful um, as far as just doing research. I think that's one of the common fears actually that people have with AI or it's just, a, it's more of a dismissal. It's like, well, we've heard that the AI hallucinates. And if you've used it, you realize it does. Like you can ask it a question and it will give you like five correct answers. And in the middle of those, there's a couple that are just completely made up but sound plausible because again, all it's doing is it doesn't have like a model of the world it's checking against. It's just predicting what the most likely word is. Usually that's correct, but not always. Sometimes it's just plausible and sounds right, but isn't. And um, one of the skills that you'll learn as you use the AI though, is just how to discern like what, what sounds right and what sounds not right and just how to fact check it. So there's some really simple things you can do. You can ask the AI, hey, can you double check that after it gives you a response? And usually it will find any errors in its response for you. And then it will apologize and correct them kindly, just like a human would. Um, if you're really not sure, like I do this before I'm going to use like a, a quote verbatim is I'll just type the quote that it gave me into Google. Or if it's citing a research paper or something, I'll type that into Google and just see like, oh, yeah, that exists. OK, so just double check. Um, but it is a immensely helpful tool for that. And I would highly recommend playing with it um, next time that you're preparing something like a lesson or a sermon or a post that you're going to write. That's amazing. And, and, you know, I'm reminded of Adam Hamilton, who's a kind of a prominent United Methodist pastor out in Kansas city, who talks about this research team that he has that sort of brings this, almost college class worth of content for him to sift through for each sermon. Mm. And all of a sudden it's like, we have access to that, but it's a less tested and perhaps a less trustworthy intern right off the bat. And I'm, I'm curious about this notion that, that we need to become discerning and more discerning. Can you say a little bit more? I mean, I love the techniques that you just named, which are both very helpful, you know, Check fact check it on Google and ask the AI model that you're using to fact check it too. I mean, those are great, straightforward techniques for checking in, but also like this, you know, the internet has been described as this creating, help, helping to create a generation of human beings with more knowledge or meaning more information available at their fingertips 
And that has actually just gotten a giant shot in the arm with, with AI language models, but lacking in wisdom to use your language or discernment also to use your language. So how can, how can we grow in our capacity to be wise and discerning in our use of this technology? That's a great question. And I, th I think it, there's like a, there's some practical answers that apply just to AI, but there's also a general kind of paradigm shift that can be helpful to think through when it comes to technology in general. And I, I think m most of us, when we're using technology, we're not thinking about the technology that we're using. We're just using it. We're posting on social media or tapping away. We're responding to emails and in a, we don't necessarily think about or recognize kind of like the hidden effects that technology has. So and there's a famous quote um, that, you know, first we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. And technology certainly does that for us. And the internet has done it massively um, with some mixed results, you could say, um, so far. Um, so it feels like often that like technology is just, we're along for the ride. We're not really even thinking about it. And it can get to a point where technology is actually using us and we're not using it. And because most of us don't work directly in the field of technology, that just kind of feels like a natural thing that we slip into. But something that I would encourage anybody listening to think about is that um, part of being made in the image of God and being creative is to have dominion over the tools that we make and to use them creatively. And we are naturally um, given like the agency and creative power and the insight to not just use our tools well, but to create new tools. And it's easy to feel like we're not in the driver's seat, but we actually are. And so like a big picture paradigm shift I would encourage people to do is to try to intentionally use your technology and avoid being used by it. So that's a general reframe. It's not usually how we talk about technology, but it is a helpful reframe I find. And particularly when it comes to something new, like AI that's very powerful. So um, to develop kind of like the discernment and wisdom about how to use AI effectively, that's the first thing to think about is that you are the director. You're like the creative director. You're the lead on the team of the interns. This is a tool for you to help you accomplish whatever it is that you are looking to accomplish this good in the world. And it's going to come alongside you and help you do that. And if you start with that frame of mind, um, that can really, to me, that, that, that really helps put technology in the proper place. It kind of reduces any kind of anxious fears or ambiguities. And then we can just kind of play with it and see if it works for our purpose. So that's a very general answer. Um, I think some maybe some more specific ideas for how that could work um, in practice can, could be helpful. So one that I found is I'll call it prototype conversations. So if you're going to have a conversation with somebody, like let's say it's a freshman student who is struggling with, I think, Rhymes, you mentioned this scenario to me, so I'll use it, um, that they're struggling with that they grew up in kind of a fundamentalist, very literal interpretation of Genesis. And to them, like evolution or in the concept of evolution is an existential kind of like threat to their faith. And they're attending school and they're learning about all this and they're going through a real crisis 
with this? Well, for somebody, if, if you didn't grow up in that background, that can be a very foreign kind of baffling struggle. Um, but to that student, it's very real. And the AI can actually help with this. And it's actually very effective at it. So you can tell the AI to do something like, hey, can you simulate the student, this freshman student who is struggling with this issue? They come from a fundamentalist kind of, let's say, Baptist perspective. And they're really struggling with reconciling these two things. How could I, I'm not familiar with this. Can you simulate a conversation with them and help me understand their perspective? AI is fantastic at that. If you just give it that kind of prompt. And so I've used it this way before. It's just like if I'm trying to really understand a perspective from somebody I'm not familiar with, and I know I want to engage with that in a meaningful kind of discerning way, I use the AI to actually help me do that. Now, we have to be careful because the AI is not that person. Um, that person's going to, of course, have like their own unique individual needs and takes that are different from what the AI will give us. But the AI is very good at simulating other people's perspectives. And personally, I found it very helpful for preparing something like that. We hope you enjoyed the episode. The Collegiate Ministries podcast is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.